electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I mean, I, I went to Elon Musk's house at, for a party. Yeah, the and he, uh, Tesla he, and Solar he, City. He, he, and he's Bob. like, Sebastian Bach, I can't believe that you're here. And I go, dude, you're inventing like time travel. Like, <laughs> I play in a band. But all Elon, they're, they're, they wanted to hang out with the dude at the place rock and roll. It's John Ford again. Welcome to Fort Knox, podcast edition from CNBC, rich ideas and powerful people. For Fort Knox, episode five, a different sort of personality. See, this is what I mean by rich ideas and powerful people. Ideas can be expressed in lots of different media, and power comes in many forms. On this podcast, you've heard from an entrepreneur, a CEO, an actor, and this time, a rock star. Not a metaphorical rock star, an actual rock star. We're going to talk about money, technology, music, regrets. I can't wait for you to hear it and tell me what you think. But first, got to get a little mushy on you. It's been not quite a month of Fort Knox, and we've already topped 2,000 streams and downloads. And that means you guys, the listeners, are awesome. Thank you. Keep streaming, downloading, sharing. Subscribe on iTunes in the podcast app on your iPhone or iPad, in Google Play on your Android phone, or on SoundCloud. And check out fortnox.com. That's F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X.com. You can see all the episodes there. And check out recordings of our live show, where you can tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on Facebook and Periscope. Now, here we go. Sebastian Bach is a big dude. You know how celebrities are always supposed to be smaller in person than you think? John Bon Jovi is about my height, and I'm 5'8". I met him in a restaurant in San Jose, California a decade ago. Sebastian, the ex-Skid Row frontman, is huge, 6'3". We're at 30 Rock, the NBC mothership where he's just popped into Access Hollywood, and he's kindly agreed to meet me after in what feels like a giant closet, because it's quiet. And, you know, I'm recording a podcast. Here's a guy who joined a band in the mid-80s. Debut album went multi-platinum. Second album debuted at number one. He was the prettiest of the metal pretty boys, and he earned a bad boy reputation, too. But the most remarkable thing? He changed. Skid Row broke up after Sebastian booked them as an opening act for Kiss, which the other band members thought was beneath them. And, of course, after Sebastian himself attracted a lot of the wrong kind of controversy with his temper and his mouth. That didn't help. But that was just the beginning of his story. He's written a book about it, 18 in Life on Skid Row, that just went on sale last week. I wanted to ask him what he's learned about business, music, and survival as a rock star, TV star, Broadway star, and more. Sebastian Bach. So Skid Row, I mean, yeah. I can't believe, I'm, I'm basically 40. I turn 40 uh, mm-hmm. next week. So I, 
I remember you. So when uh, we put out Youth Gone Wild, you were a youth gone wild. I was. I hadn't gone as wild as I wanted to at the time, but we were all living vicariously through you guys. I mean, right I remember, you know, Guns N' Roses. I remember looking at MTV in the Paradise City video. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, there was the movie Lean On Me and Welcome uh -huh. to the Jungle was in the very beginning. Yes. Of the, you know, Aerosmith with, mm -hmm. um, with Walk This Way oh, and yeah. the mashup with Run DMC. It was like, you know, in the yeah. in the eighties, mid to late eighties, there was this whole mashup of culture uh -huh. happening where what had been white music, what had been black music, it was all kind of coming together. Kids were being kids. What what do you remember from that time and the culture of that time when you were first getting started with uh, well, Kid Wicked, Skid Row? Yeah. Well, I must mention when you talk about the mashups that I I have a song coming out with DMC, uh, Black Betty, uh, where I'm I sing the chorus, he does the rap. It's his his solo record. Mick Mars from Motley Crue plays guitar, and that's coming out soon. So he's still doing that stuff <laughs> and getting us rockers in on it. Um, but what can I remember from that time? I remember. I remember the vibe of rock and roll being so huge that when you went to a club, like say on the Sunset Strip, there was just as many or more people outside the club or in the street as was inside. You could go partying in the street. <laughs> it was like you didn't have to get inside. There so many people, like, like Sunset Strip would be shut down on Friday and Saturday nights, just with rock and rollers taking over, you know? So if you were, if you were starting off today, mm -hmm. the recorded music business isn't what it used to be, right? Well, 60, it's, it's morphed into a brand new, different thing. There's a streaming thing, yeah. the money's way different. Uh, mm -hmm. Would you do it the same way? Well, it's impossible to do it the same way. It's, the way we did it doesn't exist anymore. But now it's really about being on the live touring circuit pretty, right. pretty much all the time because that's the one thing you can't replicate on a, on a cell phone. You can't download that experience, you know? Watching a show on your phone after you're filming it is not the same as being at the show and feeling it. So that, that'll never be able to be uh, downloaded. Would you be on YouTube? Yeah, I, I am on YouTube, and and you know. But I mean, if you were a kid, if you were yeah, like that that'd be the fourteen years old. Yeah, that's like your own TV channel, you know. And uh, when we put up a video and it gets a million hits, that's still a million a million views is a million views. And when we go on tour in different countries, it's obvious that they're watching YouTube because they know the stuff that we put up there. You know. Why'd you write the book? Because. Uh, when I go to the bookstore, there's no books on Skid Row <laughs> until now. And Harper Collins asked me to write the first ever one. And wow. you know, all these bands have multiple books. And so I'm very lucky to be able to write one on my own band. So how does that pitch go? Does, does Harper Collins have a person? They, they come to you yes. and say, here are all the bands from your era who have written books and here's how the books have done and we have determined that. No, that, that wasn't what they said to me. A lady named Carrie Thornton, who is my friend and great uh, com, com, uh, partner in crime, if you will, 
That's who I've been working on the book with for four years and my management team. Um, but they came to me not talking about bands like from Meyer. They, they just put out the uh, Willie Nelson book, Roll Me Up and Smoke Me When I Die. Willie Nelson? <laughs> That's what we, me and Carrie bonded over, yeah. like, because they put out Willie's books, and I'm like, I'm kind of like a heavy metal Willie kind of in a way, you know. Explain. Well, I like being on the tour bus. I like being on the road again. I just can't wait to get on the road again with my family and my friends. You know, maybe have a little smoke, watch a movie, go to the next town. The journey. That's right? my life, and I love being on the bus. I like touring on a bus more than touring by plane. Now, was there stuff that they knew they wanted in the book? Do they already have a sense of, okay, we know Sebastian, we know a bit about his story, we know Skid Row's a big deal, we know he's done all this stuff after, you know, the Broadway stuff, the yeah. TV. So this guy's got a story. Is that what it, is that what it was about? Yeah, and but one thing that I would um, have to remind people of over and over again is I really hate the term hair metal, okay, or 80s rock or spandex or lipstick or I, all that kind of comedy hair metal. You see, I don't know what they could be talking about. <laughs> I don't know what they could be referencing when they, when they use the term hair metal. Didn't you once say that? Like, like I want to be respected who did from, you think, from my art. Who you did know? you think like, they were talking about when they talked about hair metal? And you kind of took credit for it. Well, I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> but, but I don't, I just, that word, that term to me, would, number one, that didn't exist, that term. It when, was just when, metal. It was just metal or rock. That came around like, that term came around in like, when they put out those late night records like, Freebird, dude. Freebird, man, or, or, or Freedom Rock, Freedom Rock, here, and I was like, what is all this? Those late night compilation records. It's the first time I heard the term hair metal, but they would try to put that label on my book. I'd say, get that shit off my book. And they'd be, no, it's cool. I'd be like, no, it's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, There's a... Some, but some people, you know what I have a problem with when somebody says 80s rock, to me, Sometimes I'll take that as an offense, okay? But they don't mean it like that. Do you take it as an offense? Because I don't know, because to me it's like a label. It's like they're saying it's not relevant anymore. Well, yeah, that, and also you didn't do nothing else except for then, right. which is not true. But like one of my heroes... Oh, when they try to say you are 80s rock. Yeah, and I'm going... As well, if you didn't do anything after. Right, like right. I, was, <laughs> I was only 21 in 1990. Like, give me, give me, cut me some slack. <laughs> but, but, the, but, like, one of my heroes is Neil Young. Mm. And I read an interview with him, and he's like, man, I always get slapped with this label, like, 70s songwriter shit. And it I go, so he fucking, he gets bugged by his label. Right. I, I think people don't like to be put, you know, in a box uh, or have a label slapped on them. But it happens to everybody. Yeah. So... Tell me about what happened to Skid Row. I mean, you know, there's the, there's a story about um, opening for Kiss, which you which, uh, they signed up for. Yeah, and this wasn't just like a random thing. I mean, you were a Kiss fan from being a kid. Yeah, and uh, you know, as if that was devaluing the band. Was that really it, or was there? I mean, the, with, no, with that... rock bands, there's always like. Somebody dated somebody else's girlfriend or somebody, you know, there was something with money maybe. Was there yeah. something else behind it? Um, I think that um, 
in a lot of instances in rock bands, like the singer gets the lion's share of the attention and some other guys in the band would resent that if they like started the band. And right. but you, that that stuff's like out of your control. Like that's every the media just kind of does what they want to do. You can't tell the media what to do. Right. You know, and I think that had a lot to do with it. But we're talking twenty seven years ago, which is the last time nineteen ninety six. So. I can't really tell you what happened because it was so long ago. I don't even remember why we're mad, you know? I mean, I can think of stuff that might have happened, but it was so long ago that I personally can't be mad at somebody for something that happened 27 years ago. I, I just don't care. It doesn't have any effect on my life today, you know? You're a different guy in a way. Yes. I mean, you made up with John Bon Jovi. Yeah. What was that about? Well, me and John, I mean, he took us on the road in Skid Row and and had a publishing deal where he got re recompensed for helping us. But but that happens in the music. Move, that yeah. that happens all the time too. Right. Yeah. And we wouldn't have made it as big or as quick without his help. So, as I look back, I, I again, I don't have anything to be mad at, you know. At the time, at the time you're like, "Oh, I'm you know, you want to get all your money and you don't like anybody else getting your money, you know. But, you know, you're also young and you don't understand really how the business works when you first get into it. What did you learn about money through that? Because it seems to me in a lot of ways uh, rock and roll can be like professional sports. Uh-huh. For, for some people, for most people, there's a period of time, mm -hmm. a compressed period. Of, time. of course, you got your Michael Jordans of rock who are just right. sort of, they keep making money beyond the typical years. But for a lot of people, there's a compressed period of time where you are just raking it in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people during that period, man, they're living wild and not mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, setting up a 401k. Yeah. Right? Um, but you have had longevity and ideas and creative outlets beyond that. So mm -hmm. what what was your mindset about money back then? Did you have a rock bottom moment? And where are you now? Jeez. Um, I, well, you need a team around you. You can't do uh, big, huge things just totally by yourself, you know? And at that time in my life, I was in my early 20s, and you think you're invincible. Nobody can tell you anything. Yeah, you, 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 you think nothing's ever going to happen to you. But uh, luckily, after Skid Row, I somehow got on Broadway, and, and that kept me busy through four, four Broadway shows. And then I got these TV shows, like the Gilmore Girls. Mm -hmm. Which is coming back? It's already it's back. back on I mean, Netflix, yeah, and Trailer Park Boys, and, and a bunch of VH1 shows and also I did to, voiceover did they talk to you about doing anything with the new Gilmore Girls I'm, I'm on it yeah oh, yeah, yeah, yeah on you it. can go oh, okay. watch it believe it or not <laughs> I was not a faithful Gilmore Girls watcher yeah but there's a lot of people that are oh I know there's a lot yeah. my wife yeah. yeah I was just a little out of the demo for being like oh it's Gilmore Girls time let's sit down and yeah. you know um but cool I have to check it out yeah um so at what point did you learn about money Ooh. well God, that's like a, uh, it's a big question. Um, one thing that I learned that has made me enjoy money more 
is that in my band, I'm yeah. I'm the guy who signs the checks. Huh. And my manager, You're a small my, business owner. Well, my manager's over here going, need a business manager. <laughs> but my, you're, you're probably right, okay? But the thing is, is that when I sign the checks, I know where every, every dollar goes in my organization. Because I got to pay the bus driver, I got to pay the bus company, I got to pay the sound man, I got to pay all the road crew, I got to pay all the guys in the band. And when I'm the dude that, that is the only guy that has power to sign the checks, I know what's happening. And, and you I, weren't always the guy who signed the no, checks. No, you have to fight for that right in in music industry. In Skid Row, I never signed the checks. Mm -hmm. Like that was some dude. And you had to like call and get your money and stuff and that dude's doing very well. <laughs> well, you know, maybe that'll happen again, but not anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever that dude I just have to, you got to trust that dude. You know what I'm saying? Right. And when I'm signing the checks, I trust that dude. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start signing the checks? In my solo band. Yeah. When I was out of Skid Row, and I go, that's it. I go, now that's not happening anymore. I have one inspiration for that. His name is Chuck Berry. Uh. He goes to the gig in his station wagon with his briefcase. There's a band ready for him. He gets out, he gets paid before he plays, steps on the stage, does his show, gets his briefcase, gets back in the car and splits. <laughs> <laughs> he signs the checks and he gets paid. And <laughs> I mean, that's, that would be my advice to any businessman. If, you, yeah, music if you're able to be the dude that signs the checks at the company, that's what I would say that you want the position of. Yeah. Did you have to get mentored by somebody? Uh, or was it just figuring it out, reading stuff? On, on the fact that you needed to sign the checks, how you sign the, the checks, how mm -hmm. you keep track of the money coming in and the money going out. I mean, mm -hmm. um, this, this sounds like kind of hard-earned knowledge that you got. Well, yeah, because I didn't understand what publishing was. I didn't understand... At a very early age, like when I was making the first record, I didn't understand. Like, if you got your name on the credits, that's like tons of money. And if you don't, that's not even close. Like, I didn't know that. I thought, all for one, one for all. Hey, buddy, kumbaya. Like, <laughs> it's not the way it is. Like, like, like when Skid Row first flew you out. To I audition, 180 bucks, right? You're like, oh, wow, they're flying Man, this out. is great. But you saw that written down later. <laughs> I came back, yeah. You had like two or three years later. I go, what is this charge? Flight, Toronto, New Jersey. Night. I go, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> The guy who signed the checks had written that down to make sure that... Yes, yeah. it, all, they always, it always comes back. Learn what the word recoupable means. <laughs> and then learn what the word shortfall means. Understand the difference between the gross and the net. Big difference. This is NBA stuff here. <laughs> well, yeah. when you're in a band, you're like, that's gross. Where, you know, where's the net? Like, <laughs> you don't know what that means, you know. So you now, find out what it means. <laughs> now those of us who remember the 80s, in particular, are in the, in the stage where we got some money. Uh -huh. And I'm starting to see, you know, in the 90s, and I'm starting to see more of the performers mm -hmm. who 
made a big cultural impression during that time. Yeah. Back out more uh, because, hey, we got some money. We want to we wanna go back to those artists who had a big impact on our psyche and the culture at the time when we were coming of age. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing from those fans now who, who are grown up? Well, I'm seeing like the number one tour in the world is Guns N' Roses, which is <laughs> whoever thought, which is right, you know, very close to the music that we put out. Yeah. In the same time as well, um, I'm seeing a lot of, as you said, guys with money that hire musicians such as myself and Taylor Hawkins from the Foo Fighters and mm-hmm. corporate bands to play corporate events, which I did about two weeks ago, the Hyundai, Hyundai uh, auto show, <laughs> you know, they hire me like to, to come in and sing. And all these rich dudes, they, they love it. They, they love it. <laughs> believe that you're here. And I go, dude, you're inventing like time travel. Like <laughs> I play in a band. But all of you, they're, they're, they wanted to hang out with the dude at the place rock and roll. Like the, I, I was like, this is crazy, you know? But I can't, you know. I, I, I want to hang out with the guy that invents the Hyperloop. You <laughs> but know, you had like, seen it to before, me, that's like, pretty amazing. You saw you know, your parents, the Beatles, the, the impact. Well, me, did you just not put yourself in that category and think, or think you would live this song? <laughs> I didn't think that uh, the music I'd make would, would have such a long, long uh, life to it. Like a song like "I Remember You," which is covered now by like Carrie Underwood and Zoe Kravitz and so many people doing this song. That's one thing I didn't figure. But but music is the most visceral art, art form. Like when you hear a song that meant something to you at a certain time in your life, there's nothing like that song that will make you feel that that emotion. So that has a value to it for sure. Have you seen those videos with Alzheimer's patients? What? Are, there's this video out there, uh-huh. check it out on YouTube. Alzheimer's patients who are basically non-communicative, largely don't remember people, but you play a song. Oh yeah. From when they were a kid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Boom. When right? my when my dad had uh, terminal cancer, leukemia, and bone marrow cancer, I, I knew I, I I went and bought a ghetto blaster and I brought in his favorite CDs and played the Eagles right there in the hospital and he would sing and put his hand up and he still knew the words and you know so that. That never ends. Your dad was an artist. Yes. A painter. Uh-huh. What kind of an impact did his creativity, his love for his art mm-hmm. have on uh, not only your early years, mm-hmm. uh, being able to do bands at a young age, mm-hmm. but your drive to keep having a different spin on things? Not a lot of guys that I run across <laughs> Can, can express themselves in so many different media like you have. Wow, man, that's, that's heavy. Well, what he taught me was he taught me by example to pick something that you love to do in life and then you never have a job. Because to him, painting wasn't a job. It was his dream and he loved to paint. And that's all he did and that's all he talked about. And he never, he loved it. Mm. So rock and roll, that's, I mean, I, I love rock and roll. <laughs> you know? So I love it, so it's fun. And no matter how, the tra- how hard the traveling is, my wife, she's been traveling. I know, but you, 
But no matter, but it's fun. It's not like it's it's the music is fun, you know, and it always should be fun. And I think some musicians forget that about rock and roll or music is that it, it should always be fun. Do you or, consider yourself, or you're doing it wrong. Do you consider yourself an actor? <laughs> well, yeah, on the Gilmore Girls and on Broadway for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I just or when I'm on Fox at Friends at seven fifteen a.m. <laughs> but I was also listening, as I was telling you, to Skid Row, some old tunes on the way over here, mm -hmm. and one of the things that struck me is how emotive your voice is. Wow. So, I mean, not people have different singing styles, uh -huh. right? But there's something that storytelling and transporting the way that you interpreted melodies uh -huh. and continue to. Mm -hmm. um, I, was, I only said interpreted yes. because I was listening to the old stuff. I'm not trying to put you in 80s I rock. I got it. But t tell, me, tell me about that because um, I haven't gotten any portions in your book where you talk about acting as a kid, but clearly somewhere in there you're exploring plumbing emotional depths. Well... Music is so emotional to me, like like certain songs. There's certain songs that I have to be ready for before they come on, like Imagine by John Lennon, because it just reminds me of my dad and he's not, no longer here. And that was like his ultimate uh, thing that he respected was like John Lennon. And so that song messes me up. <laughs> But, uh, but there's a lot of, I think we all have songs like that. So when I'm writing a record or coming up with a new song, I try to go to that place of, of really feeling it, you know, to the point of where it, it like rips your heart out. And a song like I Remember You, it's one step back from crying, you know? Like I go right, to, right there and then I take a step back from that. You know, and there's a lot of singers. Robin Zander of Cheap Trick is an incredible singer like that. Janis Joplin, you know, mm. back in the day. Yeah. You know, singers like that will just rip your heart right out. How does your voice still work as well, many people say, as it used to? Is it, is it the vocal training in the church growing up? Did you learn to sing in a way that preserved your voice? Did you, do you have certain tricks that you do? Because a lot of people blow out their vocal oh, I know, cords, yeah. and they, they can't hit those octaves like they used to. It's a fine line <laughs> between screaming and blowing your voice out. And uh, you have to have the right monitor man, number one. But, but before that, there is a style called bel canto, which is an Italian set of scales that's been around for hundreds of years. That Tony Bennett uses this. John Bon Jovi sent me to this vocal instructor in Manhattan. His name is Don Lawrence, and mm. he teaches it. And his father teaches it, and his grandfather teaches it. And they taught the Broadway stars of the 20s, this family. Mm. So they know how to teach this technique. And it's a set of scales, and just like you go to the gym, and you work out and you build up your muscles, you can lift more. It's the exact same thing for, for your throat. When did you learn that? Uh, when, I, when Bon Jovi got me in Skid Row and hired me, he sent me directly oh, wow. to this guy in like 1987. And he's, go take a lesson, Don Lawrence, Manhattan. So Christina I'm Aguilera. Uh, goes there, Lady Gaga. Wow, legit. All, all legit. these people, and it's the same scales. Yeah. I didn't realize that you and Bon Jovi were that connected. 
Well, you know, he went to school with Snake from Skid Row, the guitar player. Mm. And so they hired me to be in their band and, and uh, we went on the road and we, we did our first tour was the Bon Jovi New Jersey tour. So that's the first one we did. I remember that album well. I used to listen to it on the train going to junior high. Oh yeah. Like every day. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> on, my, on my Walkman. Nice. Because right? uh, I went from Northwest DC all the way down to Southwest. Oh wow. And, uh, you listen to a lot of tunes on that ride. You do. <laughs> yeah. um, I remember uh, Use Your Illusion. Yeah, yeah, one yeah. One and two was among sure. the first tapes that I wow. bought. I remember the Skid Row stuff. Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that's I was, awesome. Not a ton of black kids in DC were probably listening <laughs> yeah. to those bands as well, uh -huh. but um, but you you guys mm. had a lot of broad influence at the time. Well, I, I remember Outcast. You know, they had that show MTV Cribs, and they were doing Outcast at home, and they went into his bedroom and his stereo goes, and right next to his bed is our Skid Row album, and and they go, what kind of music you listen to at home? He goes, you don't know what I listen to. He goes, you don't know about no Skid Row, and he holds the CD <laughs> right to the camera, and I'm at home watching this, going, what the f like, I, <laughs> like right on, like. <laughs> Did you ever meet those guys? No, but they got good taste. They do. <laughs> they do. And you can, I mean, they've got a musicality about the way they do what they do. Yeah. Um, when you first joined Skid Row, or before really, when you were listening to the tapes that they sent you, mm -hmm. in your book you say, ah, I'm not sure this sounds like the sort of music that I want to do. I'm going to have mm -hmm. to rewrite these melodies yeah. in order to not sound like somebody else. Yeah. The, the guy that they had singing in the band sounded to me like Bon Jovi. Like, and, I, and I didn't know because Bon Jovi was involved that they wanted me to sound like him. Hmm. And I was more into the heavy metal kind of screaming, Judas Priest, high, really high scream. I like that stuff. <laughs> so, so I had to you know, make sure that I could do that in my band. But nobody tells me what to do, so... I mean, something about your range also reminds me of Steven Tyler. Oh, I love Steven Tyler. I, I love mean, James Brown. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of people wouldn't draw that connection, but the statting well, that Steven Tyler That's the where the, the, the range is up there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the complexity in the chords in mm -hmm. Dream On. Oh, my gosh. Well, that screamy hits in the middle is like the same high notes as like Cold Sweat, like in the middle of Cold Sweat, you know? Mm. Like that's pushing the throat. And James could do it till the day he died. Like, I had tickets to see him at the Count Basie Theater, and he, he died before the show happened. Wow. And, uh, but he was kicking out the mic stand and grabbing it and throwing it around and screaming. And <laughs> <laughs> so if you do it properly, you can do it forever. You start off your book with a story about a mistake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Why'd you do that? Why'd you start it off that way? Tell people the, the story and then why, why'd you start the book that way? Well, not to... Uh, not to give it away. Right. Yeah, not to give it away, but um, I had a situation opening for Aerosmith uh, where I got in an altercation with an audience member, but I was under a court order for years to, that I couldn't talk about it. And it really haunted me that I couldn't say sorry and I fucked up and I, it was my fault and I messed up and I'm sorry and 
I couldn't say any of that. So I, I was dying to write that down, like for years. So that's how I, that's why I started it like that. I had to get that off my chest. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that a rock star can start a book. Mm -hmm. An apology is an interesting way to, wow, wow. to pick. I don't know. I, I never wrote a book before. <laughs> so I just try to make something that, I, that I'm proud of. Yeah. What do you hope, and this is my last question, what do you hope people remember about your full body of work? That it, that it uh, takes a lot, it's a long, tricky process for me to put my name on something, whether it's Jekyll and Hyde on Broadway or Jesus Christ Superstar, or the Gilmore Girls, or Skid Row, or this book. Like, I, there's an emotional connection that I have with my fans that have been following me that they expect. They, they expect to feel it. And, and, and if I feel it, then I know it's ready to come out. And this book, I'm feeling it. <laughs> it's thick, too. It's it really thick. And it's packed with with stories, with, with action. It's action packed. It is. Yeah. Um, so I'm. I mean, sometimes you you get a book and somebody comes on and you know you skim mm -hmm. through. I'm actually going to read this. Good. It's, uh, actually, going <laughs> to read it. I'm actually. That was the intention. Yes. I've, I've been looking for a biography to read. I read. Um, George Washington. Mine's and, different than George Washington. And Thomas Jefferson. Some similarities, though. Oh, really? There's fighting. Really? Yes, there's fighting. Did they do Quaaludes at the Rainbow? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> different book. <laughs> Sebastian, thanks. Thank you so much. This was a great interview. Thank you very, very Thank much. you, Sebastian. Again, his book is 18 and Life on Skid Row. Get it wherever fine books are sold. Fort Knox Live Edition is on again this week. Join me at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook and Periscope on Wednesday. That's J-O-N-F-O-R-T-T. Also, don't make this podcast just a one-time thing. Subscribe to Fort Knox on iTunes or Apple's podcast app and get the latest episodes as soon as they're out. While you're at it, if you like what you've heard, leave me a review on iTunes or the podcast app. And... We're just getting started. So subscribe, tell a friend, tell me what you think. Facebook's the best way to get in touch. Like the page, John Fort, and you can post a comment or just shoot me a message one-on-one. -on -one. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you, as always, for lending an ear. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.